0: My top 10 pieces of advice I should have taken from my parents, okay? And, Dad, you'll have to fact check these to see if these are accurate or not. Top I, should give, I should give the list. Why did not you come on up, then? You probably know better than I do. Here's top 10 pieces of advice I should have taken from my parents, okay? See if you can fellowship with these. Number 10, don't eat too much cheese, um, <laughs> I know. That's, that's odd. But growing up, I loved cheese, didn't I? I wanted it on everything. I wanted it on potatoes and, you know, popcorn and cereal. Maybe not cereal. But I wanted cheese on everything. I mean, that's my mom. That's all I wanted to eat was cheese. And she said, be careful eating too much cheese. Now I'm allergic to dairy. I don't know if they're connected, but now I have no cheese in my life. That's, that's irony, that's, that's pretty bad, right? So, should have taken that piece of advice. Here's number nine piece of advice I should have taken. My mom used to tell me don't use too much hairspray or hair gel in your hair because it could damage your hair. <laughs> <laughs> what is she talking about? What does she know? I used to plaster that thing, right? It was like a helmet. Um, I was impervious to anything that hit my head. And now, of course, you know the rest of the story. Uh, that's number nine. Number eight thing I should have listened to is my, my parents used to tell me this, is you should have better sleeping habits because I would often stay up past 1 a.m. Anyone else love to stay up really, really late? I used to stay up past 1 a.m. and my mom used to tell me you should have better sleeping habits. And now I'm an awful sleeper. It takes me a long time to get to bed and so are my kids. I passed it on to them. So all of my kids, all set of them have been rough sleepers. So should have taken that piece of warning and a wisdom. Here we go. Number seven, is stop being addicted to Michigan football. It's not worth it. When I was growing up, I loved, didn't I, I loved Michigan football, probably more than I want to admit. But uh, I was addicted. I was addicted to Michigan football, and then I went into ministry in 2008. I moved to Michigan, pretty excited that I could watch all their games. And ever since 2008 that I went into ministry, Michigan football has stunk. And I believe it's kind of like I'm Jonah in the boat that caused the storm, and if you throw me out of the boat, the Michigan football will probably return to winning ways, but ever since then, they've been bad. And so I don't, I don't care anymore about Michigan football. Back in the day, I was addicted. How about this one? Number, <laughs> number six, my, my family used to tell me this, you shouldn't joke about having identical twins. Because I did joke about having identical twins. I used to tell my family that I thought it'd be hilarious if one day I would have identical twin boys. Seriously. And if I did, I was going to name them Floyd and Lloyd. That's, that's only half the story. Floyd was going to have a silent F on his name, so he would actually be Lloyd. Lloyd was going to have an understood F on his name, so he would actually be Floyd. And I did it just to mess with my kids and mess with their teachers. So Lloyd would be Floyd, Floyd would be Lloyd. And then one day, guess what? I found out I was having identical twins. And my sister tried to hold me to it. You're naming them Floyd and Lloyd, she said. <laughs> In fact, she got shirts for them. Remember that Floyd and Lloyd T-shirts that they had to wear. So you can call them Floyd and Lloyd. They don't mind. Uh, Here's number five piece of advice I should have taken: is you you really should take naps because someday you'll wish you could. When I was younger, my pet peeve was that my mom made me lay down and take naps because I hated naps. I thought it was like prison. I hated naps, and now, boy, I want a nap. In fact, right now I would want a nap if you guys are okay with it. I love naps. Naps are amazing. Number four thing is you shouldn't be such a picky eater. That was one of the pickiest eaters probably ever. I made my mom have all kinds of headaches and migraines, and now all of my children are picky eaters. All except one. I don't think Marcus, he'll eat anything. All my other children are picky eaters. Should have listened to that. Number three is you should sit with better posture. Anyone ever been told that? You should sit with better posture. Don't lean back, don't lean forward too much, and now I have chronic back issues. Probably a connection to that, right? How about number two? My parents would sometimes say or hint at this, you really should move out and get your own place before you live with us for the rest of your life. <laughs> now my parents live three houses down from me. That's awkward. Took me till uh, twenty twenty-eight. I moved out, age 28. Uh, here's number one piece of advice I should have taken from my parents. You know, you really should pay attention during church. And respect your pastors why because one day you're going to be a pastor they didn't say that but here I am a pastor so there's 10 pieces of advice I should have taken from my parents they sort of gave me one more that's going to transition us into our lesson today that my dad especially always said this he said you should always do the will of God did he always do the will of God and that's kind of where we're headed today if you have your Bibles join us in Luke chapter 6 verses 46 to 49 and listen To wisdom and a warning from our Lord Jesus. Jesus says in verse 46 Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Wisdom and a warning. We continue our series called Lessons for Living today. Lessons for Living. And today we speak about two things put next to each other wisdom. And a warning. The Lord is going to put these two things together to help us understand how important it is to obey his teachings. Okay? Now, sometimes as a pastor, I get to reveal to you a secret of mine. And today is one of those days. I get to reveal, you, reveal to you a secret of mine. Thanks to this text today, you're about to understand the source of one of my biggest frustrations of my entire life. A frustration that often gets me to lose sleep and gives me tummy trouble sometimes. And I'm serious. What do you think it is? Any guesses? What do you think frustrates pastors to the point that they want to get hair plugs so they can pull their hair out again? Anyone? Anyone with a guess? What do you think it is? No guesses? Okay. Well, here it is. Here's the source of the biggest frustration of my life. Are you ready? It's preaching and teaching. Anybody just gasp? Okay, that's not the entire truth. Okay, I actually love preaching and teaching. I hope you know that by now. I love preaching and teaching. I love my job as a pastor. What frustrates me is preaching and teaching in vain. The word vain means to no purpose, without effect, or ineffectually. I want you to imagine your job right now, whatever that is. Imagine it just for a moment. I know it's Sunday, but imagine your job just for a moment. And Unfortunately, you could probably sympathize with me on this one, but like me, you work You labor and you deal with all kinds of stress and work, and sometimes it feels in vain. Donnie, (laughs) it's as if you never do any work because you have nothing to show for it. No one is thankful. No one is improved or benefited. Nobody cares whether you show up or not. You exhaust yourself to give out quality work to other people, but it doesn't seem to matter. It seems to amount to nothing but a puff of smoke. Now, perhaps that's our perception and not the reality, and I hope it is, and I know it is for me. I know that mine is at least half lies being fed to me by the devil every week, that good things are coming from my preaching and teaching, but the fact that it's perception alone is at least frustrating enough for me, because imagine working and laboring in vain, to no purpose, without effect, or ineffectually. Would that frustrate you? Now, it's true that we all want to think that our work, no matter how big or small it is, is making some sort of impact and difference upon the world. And if not, we're going to struggle with purpose. We are. Whether to continue with that work or not, unless the paycheck, of course, is unbelievably good. But let's face it, the paycheck is never unbelievably good, is it? Today, we get to hear from the greatest preacher of all time. Not me. Thank you for those who thought it, though. We get to hear from the Lord Jesus. And we get to understand his frustration that he had as a preacher and a teacher. But more than that, we're given a piece of wisdom and a warning from him that can change our life for the good or the bad, depending on whether we heed it or not. Now, Jesus was the master at using metaphors okay, and illustrations to help his people understand what he meant. And today he's going to use a metaphor of building a house. Any builders out there? Anyone build a house or help build a house? Okay, all right. I don't have that skill myself, so I always respect those who have it. Jesus is going to instruct us all how to build a house properly today. But as per usual, Jesus is not concerned with the physical realm as much. He wants us to build a house spiritually because the house we are going to live in is going to, be our residence, our abode, for the rest of eternity. Now, let's look at this passage, first of all, through the lens of a wisdom. Okay? Jesus gives us a wisdom. And I want to assume today we're all ready to build. I hope you're all ready to build and get your hands dirty a little bit, because we're going to build a house. We're going to build a house today. But once again, it's not a physical house like you live in. Okay, That's not what we're talking about today. It's a spiritual house that you will live in for all of eternity, Hopefully, that is, if you build this house correctly. We'll get to the metaphor here in a little bit, but let's first look at Jesus' statement, his piece of wisdom, without the metaphor. Let's just look at the statement, okay? Jesus is is concluding his famous Sermon on the Mount, okay? This is a very important sermon. The most important sermon ever preached was the Sermon on the Mount by our Lord Jesus. Now, the Gospel of Luke only gives us portions of the Sermon on the Mount, but the Gospel of Matthew, if you've ever read that, from, age, uh, excuse me, from chapters 5 to 7, gives us the entire sermon. Matthew 5 through 7 is the entire Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to get back to that because that's important. But both Luke and Matthew end the Sermon on the Mount the same way, with wisdom and a warning, Okay, both of them. Jesus says to us as his thesis statement, this is his thesis statement today, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Can you hear the frustration in Jesus' voice, maybe? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? He's a minister who labors preaching and teaching and guiding his people, and to some degree, his people disregard his teaching. And we're not told why Jesus says this, but he must have known that either his people were not obeying or they had the propensity to not obey what he taught them. Now, Jesus could go on a long, a long soapbox here about how annoyed he is by their, lack of dis, by their lack of obedience, excuse me. But Jesus is not thinking about himself here. He's thinking primarily of his people. So he gives them and us today both wisdom and a warning regarding what he just stated right there. Okay? Now I want you to think back. I asked you to think about work. Now I want you to think about college. Those who went to college, okay? Think back to your very first day of college classes. Can anyone remember back that far? None of us. <laughs> Do you remember syllabus day? Anybody remember syllabus day? That's typically the first day of college class is all the professors will hand out their syllabuses. Did anybody enjoy college, by the way? Anybody really like college? Okay, we got a couple. All right, good. I enjoyed pieces of it. Syllabus day was day one. Okay, All your college classes you went and all your professors handed out this thing called a syllabus. And typically on the first day of class, your professor would give you either wisdom or a warning regarding that syllabus and regarding that class, right? Sometimes both. Uh, Either they would say, I strongly advise you to pay attention to your syllabus because it's going to help you stay on course. Some teachers took that route, okay? Or other teachers decided to go this way. They would say something like this. If you don't pay attention to your syllabus, then it's your own fault when you don't stay on course. Because if you don't read the syllabus, do not come running to me when you don't. Because I am telling you today, pay attention to your syllabus. Anybody have that teacher? I had a couple of those. Anyone not pay attention to their syllabus? Whoops. Wisdom and a warning, right? Jesus had just given his people following him their spiritual syllabus. That's what Matthew 5 through 7 is, okay? It's our spiritual syllabus. And if you have not read the spiritual syllabus, I really highly encourage you to get into Matthew 5 through 7 as soon as possible, okay? Because that's what Jesus is talking about today. Because he's ending his sermon basically telling them, now what I just told you is incredibly important. And we're looking at the end of the Sermon on the Mount today. So you need to read the entire Sermon on the Mount to know what Jesus is talking about. And before he closes his sermon, he basically tells his followers, pay attention to your syllabus. That's what he's telling us today, okay? Everyone needs to know our syllabus, Matthew 5 through 7. And that's a word I made up. That's not what Jesus calls it, but to help us understand what it looks like in the Christian life. So in my own words, Jesus is telling us today, it's wise if you listen to the syllabus and it's foolish if you don't listen to the syllabus. And if you don't listen to the syllabus, there will be grave consequences. Wisdom and a warning. Now let's look at our metaphor, okay? There's a metaphor that Jesus gives us. Let's look of Jesus' piece of warning through the lens of the metaphor he gives us today. Okay, Now please remember, the house we're building today is an eternal house. An eternal house. So even if you know how to build a physical house... This building plan, this blueprint today is different because it's permanent and it's eternal. So this demands our full attention today, okay? If we build this house improperly, it's going to be to our ruin, all right? Jesus is going to tell us and show us how to build this spiritual eternal home. If we do not build this house or if we build this house improperly, we will not have an eternal home to live in. It's that simple. But I want you to understand, and God wants you to understand today, that he desires to help you build it. He wants you to have this home, and he wants to help you build this home. Okay, so this is what Jesus says. He says this in verse 47, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not Shake it, because it had been well built. Does that remind you of another passage you've heard before? Do you remember Matthew 7 where Jesus said, the wise man who builds his house upon the rock versus the foolish man who builds his house upon the sand? Remember that passage? That is the parallel passage from Matthew chapter 7. Okay, same, same wording, excuse me, similar wording, but sort of different as well. But it says basically the same thing. The same gist is there. Now, I am not a builder. Okay, I told you that before. But I bet most builders can agree with Jesus' strategy here today. That the house itself is important. But the house is only as good as its foundation. Can anybody validate that? Is a foundation to the home pretty important? Okay, thank you. Because the foundation is the strength and the security of that house, right? Yes. I did. I did. In fact, I'm going to bring that up here in a little bit because that's interesting timing. But yes, the foundation of the house makes the house strong and secure, okay? Now, Jesus' wisdom is not that it doesn't matter what your house looks like. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying it's of utmost importance what it's built upon. Because every house needs a proper foundation, especially one built near the water. Isn't that true? Because that's everybody's ideal home, isn't it? There's our foundation. That's kind of what a foundation looks like. But everybody's ideal home location is a house by the water, right? A house on the lake or a house on the beach. Anyone, is that your dream home to be near the water like that? Not mine. Not mine. I want a house on a hill in a place of eternal autumn. That's what I want. Anyone else? Eternal autumn and fall on a hill. I don't need the water. Give me autumn. But I'm not most people. There are a few here today. Thank you. But I'm not most people. Most people want to live by the water. And today we're going to build our house near the water. Okay? And we need a proper foundation for that house. And if you don't know why yet, you're going to learn here very quickly. Because I'm a teacher and a preacher and a pastor, I need to constantly remind us all today that even though we're using a metaphor and some humor along the way, this is incredibly serious and incredibly real. This lesson today has eternal ramifications for all of us. So we need to pay very careful attention, very close attention, okay? Jesus tells us that if we want to lay a proper foundation, then we must do it this way. Here's his blueprint, okay? Here's his blueprint for building a proper foundation for your eternal (laughs) spiritual home. Listen to what he says. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. Jesus just gave us three steps to laying a proper foundation for our spiritual home. Number one, come to me. Right? Number two, hear my words. And number three, does them. Three steps. Three simple steps that Jesus gives us for building this proper foundation. They all must be done, and they all must be done in order. Otherwise, we're going to be eternally homeless if we don't listen to Jesus' words, okay? Everyone who wants to come and build a proper foundation for their home must come to Jesus. Now, this is a Christian church here we're speaking today, but it's possible that someone here today has not done this yet, has not come to Jesus. Jesus means that we must turn to him and follow him with our entire lives. We must turn away from our sins and any other religious creed or system and turn only to Jesus. Christianity draws a very distinct line. It doesn't say, you get there any way you want to get there. You build it any way you want to build. Jesus says, I am the only foundation. If you build it on any other foundation, your house will collapse. I am the foundation. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John 14, 6. Remember this passage? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's a very distinct and sharp line Jesus drew there. But it's right. And Jesus wants us to know there's only one proper foundation for your eternal home, and it's me and only me, Jesus speaking. Every other foundation will fail you. Now, all who want to build their spiritual home on a proper foundation that can hold them up for all eternity will believe Jesus. Will believe in who he is and what he came to do for their lives and for their souls. And they will begin to follow him because of that. And without Jesus, we're hopeless. We're hopeless. There's no hope without Jesus. Without Jesus as our foundation, there is no foundation. He is the only foundation, but with Jesus, our homes are eternally secure. That brings me a tremendous amount of confidence today. Now, in coming to Jesus, there's four steps that I see from Scripture in order to come to Jesus, okay? We're going to linger here on step number one, talk about coming to Jesus, and there's four steps in the process of coming to Jesus, but they're all very simple, okay? It sounds complicated, four steps, wow, that's a lot, but they're very simple things. Let's work through them together, Okay? If you want to come to Jesus, or we'll use the term get saved, here's what you need to do. Number one is confess you're a sinner. Nobody comes to Jesus unless they understand that they're a sinner. Now, remember our passage from last week, Levi? Remember Levi? Levi, the tax collector, Jesus came up to him and said, Follow me. And Levi does. He followed Jesus. Levi understood, and everybody understood about Levi, that Levi was a sinner. Levi actually had an advantage that way because he knew he was a sinner. Versus the Pharisees that would not consider themselves sinners. They said, no, we're righteous. We don't need anyone to cleanse us or heal us. We are already righteous. And Levi actually had a leg up on them and said, no, I am a sinner. And I need to be saved. That is what every single person who lives upon the earth must do if they want to come to Jesus. I am a sinner. I have fallen short of God's standard of righteousness. I need cleansing and healing. Step number one. Step number two is turn away from your sin. We talked about the word repentance last week. Repentance means to turn around, okay? You're going the wrong way. You understand that based on what Jesus tells you, and then Jesus says, Turn around and follow me. That's what repentance means. Get away from your sin. Leave your sin. Divorce your sin, okay? Don't write it's complicated on Facebook. Break up with sin and be done with sin for the rest of your life. It's over, sin. We're done, okay? Don't call me. Don't text me. I'm changing my number. Me and you are through sin. That's step number two. Number three is trust that Jesus can and will save you. He doesn't tease anybody. If you want to be saved, you will be saved. He will cleanse you today. If you confess you're a sinner and you turn away from your sin, Jesus is ready and willing to save anyone. Any of you. In fact, his name, one of his names was Emmanuel. Remember that? It means God with us. Jesus came to the earth because he knew we would not find cleansing any other way. He came to cleanse and to heal and to save us. He will be your Savior if you will have him. Number four is begin to follow him with your entire life. Just like Levi, I'm in. I don't know exactly what that's going to entail. I'm not mature, but Jesus, wherever you go, I'm going. Whatever you say, I'm listening to. You are my Lord, you are my master, you are my Savior, I'm in. Have you done that? Have you come to Jesus? Have you confessed you're a sinner? Have you turned away from your sin? Have you trusted that Jesus can and will be your Savior? And then have you begun to follow him with your entire life? Once you have come to Jesus, here's the next steps, okay? Get baptized and join a local church. Okay, that follows salvation, but that's a really important step as well. Get baptized and join a local church. And if you do those, you're saved. You are saved, and you belong to Jesus Christ. You belong to the kingdom of God. You are a heavenly citizen. Isn't that powerful? Now, we must all first come to Jesus. That is step number one. If we don't come to him, we cannot hear his words, not properly. Spiritual cleansing in life must first exist if spiritual counsel and guidance is desired. And if you have not given your life to Jesus yet, you cannot and you will not have a foundation. Nor will you have a home to live in for the rest of your life. In all honesty, you will be homeless eternally, in hell, without Jesus. Now coming to Jesus is the process of getting saved, but once we're saved, it's not done, okay? We've just begun. Carpenters, anybody? We've only just begun. Once you're saved, the race begins, okay? The second step to getting a proper foundation is to hear Jesus' words, now this might sound arbitrary, but hearing the words of Jesus is incredibly important. It's essential. He is now our Lord and Master. If we say yes to Jesus and we come to him, he's our Lord and he's our Master. That means whatever comes out of the mouth of Jesus is our life and our duty because now we're soldiers, soldiers for the kingdom of God. And whatever Jesus says is our law. Okay? He's our Lord. He's our Master. If we come to him but we do not listen to him, what is the point of coming to him? Jesus is not going to stamp anyone's hand with salvation and allow you to get into heaven one day, but then you get to go back to your life and live back in your sin. When we come to Jesus, he becomes our good shepherd and our Master. Okay? He is now going to guide our lives where they need to go in order to become a proper heavenly citizen. And without his guidance, without his teaching, without his words, none of us will get to heaven. Because I don't know how to get to heaven. Only Jesus does. He is our map. We just gave you a map to our house for next week, right? Listen to the map. The map is important. The map will get you there, the directions. Jesus' words and teachings are our heavenly GPS to get us to heaven, okay? Therefore, we must do whatever we have to do to hear from Jesus faithfully and regularly. We must listen to the teachings of the scriptures as our meat and our drink daily. Do you? Do you listen to the words of Jesus regularly and faithfully? That is the second step to foundation building, hearing the words of Jesus. And sadly, that is often where American Christianity stops. Did you know that? After step two. We understand we must come to Jesus for salvation. We understand we must believe and hear the words of Jesus and go to church and read our Bible. But that's it, right? As long as we get saved, as long as we listen to Jesus, our foundation is secure and our house will stand forever. Jesus says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I tell you? See, this is how the devil works, okay? Satan will give you 99% of the puzzle. As long as you don't have the final piece, you won't have all the truth you need to complete your picture, or in this case, your home. He will give you the first two steps. Isn't Satan nice? He's going to give you the first two steps. Go ahead, take them. But not the third. I won't give you the third. American Christian, pay very close attention to this next final step of building your foundation Okay, this will separate you from most Christians here in the nation and here in the world and this will allow you to truly follow Jesus now I wish I had the time to exhort some of you today further about the first two steps Okay, because some of you in this room maybe haven't come to Jesus yet and therefore you're spiritually dead you if that's true about you, you need to pause today and come to Jesus because there is no step two without step one Okay, there's no step three without step one. Before you do anything else, pause and come to Jesus, and we can help you. That's why we do this, okay? We want to help you. Do it today. Don't put it off. Not down the road. Not let's see how the summer shapes out. Do it today. Come to Jesus today. We will help you. And Some of you claim you're saved, but you very infrequently come to church to listen to the words of Jesus. And that's very strange for Christ followers. That's very strange. You claim that Jesus is your Lord, but you barely listen to him. Why? Isn't that a valid question? Why? Come to Jesus. Hear his words. And whatever you do, remember there are three steps to this process. We cannot skip any, and we cannot get them out of order. You must come to Jesus You must hear his words. And the third step is the hardest one of all, okay? Because it is the most targeted by the devil. I told you, he'll give you the first two steps because he knows that third step will keep you from the kingdom of God. 75% of Americans in this country claim to be Christ followers. Many of them never get to step number three. Almost the same number belong to a church and go faithfully and regularly to some degree. So that means... Three-fourths of Americans are in fantastic shape, right? However, there's a crucial third step to this process. And Jesus, he knows that is the most neglected step. So he's going to pause today and remind us how important that third step is. The third step to building a proper foundation for our eternal home is obedience to Jesus' teachings. Notice his language once again. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against it and against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Do you notice that phrase in yellow? And does them? It's easy to gloss over, but that's a really important phrase. Let us also notice the language from the parallel passage in Matthew, the one I referenced, okay? Notice the parallel passage from Matthew chapter 7. See if there's a connection. In verse 24, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Jesus is telling us today that we must obey his words for the entire process of foundation laying to work. Otherwise, it's moot. Otherwise, it falls apart. If we do not obey Jesus, we don't believe him and we didn't hear him. Every parent knows this is true, right, parents? When our children do not obey us, we will often ask them the question, didn't you hear what I said? I say this to my children from time to time. Didn't you hear what I said? And the question I'm not asking them is, did the words come out of my mouth and pass over your physical ears. That's not what I'm asking my children. The question I'm asking my children is, did you pay attention to my words, right? That's what I mean. Or remember the syllabus metaphor when the teacher says, pay attention to your syllabus? He is meaning that you need to read with the intention of obeying the syllabus. Before we get to the warning, I want you to see the piece of reward the reward of coming by listening to the wisdom of Jesus listen to the reward of listening to, to Jesus wisdom he says this and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock do you notice the security do you notice that security it will never fall what a will stand That's an enormous amount of security. Now remember, we're building this house near the water. A proper foundation is crucial if you're going to build a house at all, but especially near the water. Because water can take a house down quite easily without that foundation. And I believe water here is another metaphor for judgment. There is an epic storm coming called Judgment Day. And we need a strong and steady foundation for that day because it's a mighty big storm. A mighty big storm. And if we pay attention to Jesus today, number one, we will come to him. Number two, we will hear him. Number three, we will obey him. And therefore, the rain, the winds, and the floods, although they try to upend our house, they cannot because our house has a foundation upon the rock. And the rock is Jesus, the Son of God the eternal Savior, the eternal Lamb of God. He is the foundation. And there exists no water, no wind, no flood, no storm anywhere that can move the rock of Jesus. Did you know that? Nothing can move the rock of Jesus. In fact, the storm obeys his very words. If we build our homes upon the rock of Jesus by doing these three steps, then both we and our homes will be secure for all eternity. Amen? Amen. Don't you want eternal security? Or as Hebrew calls it, if you read the book of Hebrews, it calls it an unshakable kingdom. Boy, isn't that powerful? An unshakable kingdom. He says one day the entire universe and world is going to be shaken and most of it will fall off and be destroyed. But not our kingdom. Our kingdom is unshakable because it's been founded on the rock. But Jesus doesn't end with just wisdom. He could, but he doesn't. He ends by giving us all a very serious warning. Notice the last verse, okay? He says, The one who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, as she mentioned three days ago, there was an apartment complex in Florida that collapsed in the middle of the night with no warning at all. That's devastating, isn't it? It collapsed and there was no warning. No one knew it was going to happen. There is a collapse coming, but every single one of us today is given a warning. The collapse will happen if... Now, I don't think I need to explain to you what this means. It's pretty straightforward. But the person that does not obey the words of Jesus has no foundation on the rock. And his house is going to be swept away by the water, the winds, and the flood, a.k.a. Judgment Day. Judgment Day is the biggest storm ever, and it's coming. It's coming for all of us. Now, the first two steps without the crucial third step to, of obedience to Jesus, they're useless, okay? Okay in laying a proper foundation. Unless we obey what Jesus tells us, then it's kind of like our professor tells us in college. We might as well never signed up for his class. We might as well have never read the syllabus because we didn't obey the syllabus. And now we're going to get an F in his class. And getting an F in that class means that taking the class and reading through the syllabus was a complete waste of time, both for the professor and for us. We need to remember today who's speaking to us. The one speaking to us today is the rock himself. Our very foundation is telling us how to properly build upon him. And therefore, please understand this today. This is crucial, okay? Jesus wants you to build upon him. He wants you to be secure forever. He loves you, so he warns you. Do you notice that? He gives us wisdom and a warning so he might spare us from eternal ruin of judgment day and allow us to live with him for the rest of eternity. But why the warning, Jesus? Isn't the wisdom enough to build on a proper foundation? Isn't the wisdom plenty? Why not just focus on the positive-sounding things and leave those icky-sounding things out of this completely? Because nobody today seemingly can handle anything that sounds a little hard to hear. Isn't that true? But quite simply, I believe if we don't have the warning, Jesus believes none of us will do what he's telling us to do. There is a lost treasure today in the American modern-day church. Okay? It is the fear of God. It's almost gone. It's almost nowhere to be found in the American church. The fear of God is a lost treasure. I really wholeheartedly believe this. Christianity today has become all about love, grace, forgiveness, and acceptance because we like those words. And the reason we have lost the fear of God in our culture is quite simple. We don't like it. And we don't want it. So we removed it. We took it out. The fear of God does not work in our culture. We want all positive reinforcements and none of the negative-sounding things because warnings make us feel nervous, right? Warnings make me feel nervous, and I don't like feeling nervous. I want to feel built up and encouraged all the time, so who needs warnings? Let's just get rid of them from Scripture. But it's odd because the only one who can't warn us anymore is God. The weatherman can warn us if a storm is coming. The media can warn us of a coming threat to our nation. Our parents, our teachers, and our bosses can warn us of something that's going to happen if we don't do what we're supposed to do. But when God seeks to warn us by the preaching of his word, we think the pastor has bad theology. And we stop going to that church, and we start going to a different church because we want the positive reinforcements. But Wyoming Valley Church, please hear me today. The one who warns you, especially when it involves the eternal word of God, is the one who loves you. Warning equals love. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't warn you. He would just let you die. When Jesus tells us that if we don't obey his words, that we will die for all eternity, he's loving us enough to warn us because he doesn't want our house to collapse. The one who hears them and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Do you notice the love? Because I see the love. I see the love. He warns us because he loves us. He does not want this tragedy to happen to us, making the fear of God a gift, because the fear of God can keep us alive. And the reason I speak to you today this way is because I fear God. I fear God, and I want you to fear God. Because I believe the fear of God is a gift. Because the ruin of that house will be great. And Jesus is not using the word great as in wonderful and fantastic and joyful. No. The word great means tragic and massive and unbelievably bad. By using the word great, Jesus is telling us that our souls will be damned if we don't heed this warning, meaning the fear of God is a gift. If we come to him, if we hear his words, but we don't obey him, then we will be damned for all eternity. Because coming to Jesus and hearing his words without obedience makes the first two steps a complete waste of time, because obedience is the point. And if we don't obey the Lord's teachings, we don't have a proper foundation for our home. In fact, if you are looking at the parallel passage, maybe you're there in Matthew, and we're going to put it on the screen. Right before our parallel passage in Matthew, listen to the phrasing once again from Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. Listen to what Jesus says. Notice the connection. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I did not tamper with your Bibles, okay? It says what it says, okay? This means it is the word of God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Do you notice it? Do you notice the connection? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Jesus never asked us to prophesy in his name. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Jesus never asked us to cast out demons in his name. Did we not do many mighty works in your name? Jesus never told us to do that. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The word lawless means living as if there is no law. But, consequently, Jesus, and obeying Jesus, doing what Jesus says will actually validate the first two steps. If we obey what Jesus says, then we came to him. We came to him. Because no one will obey Jesus unless they come to him for healing and cleansing. Number two, if we obey Jesus' words, then we heard his teachings. Because how can we obey a teacher that we never heard? If we obey Jesus, the first two steps are absolute and truth. I came to him and I heard him. Because it's impossible to obey someone if you don't come to them and you don't hear them. Now, using our syllabus illustration, if you did everything you were supposed to do on the syllabus, doesn't it validate that you were in the class? Doesn't it validate that you read the syllabus? And if you don't obey the syllabus, being in the class doesn't matter. Reading the syllabus doesn't matter because the point of the syllabus is not to own it or to read it. The point is obeying the syllabus. Jesus is seeking to spare us eternal ruin. So he says to us, build upon the foundation of the rock by doing what I told you to do. Matthew 5 through 7, I want you to know it and highlight it. And remember, Matthew 5 through 7, along with the rest of the word of God, is our spiritual syllabus. Okay, Read it. Obey it. Know it. It is the word of God. It is your eternal foundation. It is a matter of eternal life and death. I want you to get very familiar with Matthew 5 through 7, okay? Very familiar. I want you to know it inside and out, backwards and forwards. Know it, read it, remember it, memorize it, talk about it. It is the most important thing Jesus ever said. But to make this lesson work in our lives, we need one profound secret that I'm going to go back to today. One profound perspective that most people in America cannot and will not swallow. And it is the fear of God. The fear of God. Now, we're going to preach on this more someday very soon because it's so important. But the fear of God, I believe, is the best gift God ever gave us besides the blood of Jesus. Maybe even more important because we won't go to the blood of Jesus without the fear of God, will we? And sadly and tragically, the fear of God is almost nowhere to be found in our culture. The devil has tricked us into removing it altogether. Take it out. You don't need it. Because he knows how effective it is in helping us Obey, the excuse me, the word of God. Now, if Jesus would have said to me, wisdom says to obey me, okay? That's what wisdom tells you, be wise and obey me. And we all said, yes, sir, I will obey you because that's the wisest thing to do. Then perhaps we don't need the warning. But Jesus is telling us today that even if you veer past the guardrails of God's wisdom, you need the safety and the security of the fear of God to protect you from falling over the ledge when nothing else will protect you. We all need to pause today and think about the words Jesus says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call yourself a Christian and not do what Jesus tells you? Does that make any sense at all? Why do you claim to be a Christian and don't follow the teachings of Jesus? What do we think a Christian is? It's someone who follows and listens and obeys Jesus. That's what a Christian is. Why do we come to church and read our Bibles if we don't do what Jesus tells us to do? Does that make any sense at all? What is teaching and preaching and reading our Bibles for? Just spiritual exercise? And of course not. The point is obedience. And before we close today, I want you to see the fear of God from at least one more passage, okay? And it's not just this passage. If you read through the entire scriptures, you're going to see the fear of God a lot but I want to give you one more, okay, because I want you to notice something. In Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church in Rome, and he said this in chapter 2, starting in verse 6. He says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Guys, the fear of God is a gift. It can help us stay safe. Okay? See, on Judgment Day, unlike what many Americans, I believe, think about God in Judgment Day, God's not going to judge us according to whether we said the sinner's prayer or not. Okay? Did you say the sinner's prayer? Yes, I did. Okay, you're in. No matter how you lived, that's not what God is going to do. He's not going to judge us based on the date in the front of our Bible for when we came to Jesus and got saved. Show me the date in your Bible and you're in. No. He's not going to judge us based on our family upbringing. Did you grow up in a Christian home? No. Did you claim to be a Christian? No. Did you attend church? No. See, God is going to judge us according to our works. Do you notice it? Now, that doesn't sound very Protestant, does it? But it's biblical. And do you know why it's biblical? Because works of obedience to Jesus will reveal everything about us. Everything. If you obey Jesus, you came to him. And if you obey Jesus, you heard him. And if you obey Jesus, you loved him. If God judges us according to our works and he sees obedience to the syllabus, you loved Jesus. You built your life on Jesus. And obedience will prove all of that. And if we didn't obey Jesus, if he judges us according to our works, then there's no obedience to what Jesus says. None of it matters. Our church attendance doesn't matter. The date in our Bible doesn't matter. The sinner's prayer doesn't matter. Our family upbringing does not matter if we didn't obey the words of Jesus. Saying, Lord, Lord, without obedience to him means nothing. In fact, it's in vain. And if the foundation of faith in Jesus is not there, then the wind and the waves of the storm of God's wrath without the foundation of Jesus Christ is going to destroy our house immediately. And the ruin of that house will be great. Now, I know this lesson has a heavy feel to it, I knew that coming in, but this is important, okay? This is really important. This message is bathed in the love of God. It really is. If you think about it clearly, it's bathed in God's love. Therefore, let us hear both the wisdom and the warning. Nobody loves you more than Jesus. Nobody. That's why he gave you wisdom and a warning. He's seeking to secure your eternal spiritual home with him forever. He wants you with him forever. That's why he tells you this. He loves you deeply, deeply. Our application to this is very simple. It's just what we started with. If you want to build a proper foundation, number one, you will come to Jesus. Number two, you will hear his words. Number three, you will obey them. Heed the wisdom and the warning of Jesus so your eternal home will be forever secure on the rock of Jesus. And heed the wisdom and the warning because Jesus loves you and because you love him. Let us all build our entire lives upon the words of Jesus through faithful, regular obedience to Jesus. This is talking about a pattern today, okay? A practice, not a perfection. If you, as a pattern and as a practice, obey the words of Jesus, you're secure. And you could find that spiritual syllabus, like I said in Matthew 5 through 7, and the entire scriptures. Get to know the entire scriptures. And therefore, let us all build our homes upon the rock of Jesus before the judgment day storm comes, because it is coming. Jesus said this phrase many times, but in Revelation he said, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who builds his house upon the rock. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this message. It is not my message, it is your message. Therefore, it's something you want us all to know and to listen to and pay very close attention to. And I pray for the souls in this room, including mine. I, too, must obey. I, too, must go forward in this. If there are people in this room that have not come to Jesus, Father, pray that they would understand step number one is crucial to their soul. If there are some who are calling themselves a Christians, but they're regularly sorry, irregularly coming to church, I pray that you would remind them how important it is to hear the words of Jesus. If there are some in this room who are claiming to be a Christian, but they aren't obeying the words of Jesus, then I pray that you would remind us and encourage us and even exhort us all to do that very thing, starting today, so that we can confidently stand before you on Judgment Day, saying, you're my Lord, you're my Master, and the Lord will say, I know it, I see it, by your works. We praise you and we thank you for this message today. Bless us as we leave. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, everybody.